everyone, thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. Uh, Group Thinkers is the podcast for nonprofit marketers. And on each and every episode, we have a, uh, a different thinker, innovator from the nonprofit marketing landscape. And, and today's episode is no different. The, uh, the episode that you're checking out is a conversation I had about a month, uh, month and a half ago with Nate Andorsky. Uh, Nate is an author and uh, a frequent speaker and, uh, and really a bright mind whenever it comes to both conversion science as well as uh, behavioral science. He is uh, the CEO of an organization called Creative Science, which works with nonprofits and for-profit organizations. And, uh, and you know, the way that Nate thinks and brings to life academic ideas and puts them into practice is, is really inspiring. He's going to get into that on this episode. Uh, before we jump in, though, I just want to put in a few plugs. Uh, one, I uh, would encourage you to check out RKD Group's uh, website and specifically the COVID-19 resources that we've developed. Uh, Nate and I are going to talk a little bit about how people are managing this idea of creative science around uh, COVID-19. And so uh, there are all sorts of resources, ebooks and uh, training materials and blogs and, and white papers available at rkdgroup.com where you can dig into some great thinking around how to manage your program. Second, uh, wanna make sure that you throw us a follow at Group Thinkers on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow RKD Group. So with that, let's get into it. Here's Nate Andorsky on Group Thinkers. All right. Uh... Thanks everybody for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. I am here with Nate Andorsky from Creative Science. Nate, how's it going in DC today? Uh, all things considered, things are well. Things are well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on the the podcast today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you making the time to to chat uh, and and for us to talk through both these current kind of odd circumstances and. You know, as we try to wiggle our way out of these odd circumstances, uh, but more so talk about something that I know that you're passionate about in behavioral science. Uh, and mm -hmm. so we have to get to a definition of that at some point, but I, I don't want to jump over your origin story and your journey because I think it helps frame up uh, the conversation that we're going to have today and, and how that's relevant to uh, post COVID marketing. So just talk a little bit about your journey, you know, the, the launch of creative science and, and your connection to the nonprofit space. Yeah, definitely. So creative science was launched in 2013. Prior to that, I was at a nonprofit startup America partnership. Uh, this was its led. It was a private public partnership under the Obama administration. And the idea was basically to help support entrepreneurial communities throughout the U.S. So this was back when Boston and San Francisco were the only places to create a company. And the whole idea was there's a lot of talent, a lot of activity across the U.S. Can we create an organization to build out strong entrepreneurial communities to help create companies and help create jobs, etc.? And one of the founding partners of the organization was the Case Foundation. Um, if you're familiar with Stephen Jean Case, Steve is one of the co-founders of AOL. And um, when the nonprofit that I was working for um, sort of shut its doors, it was a three-year program, I decided to launch Creative Science and, um, and 
Case Foundation was one of our first clients. Um, so that was one of my big sort of leaps into the nonprofit space. But also when I was working at the Startup America Partnership, um, we were housed in the same offices as the Case Foundation. So I was really, that was my first exposure firsthand to sort of the social impact space as it relates to, to doing good. And I think it opened my eyes up in regards to how technology can help these organizations really move their mission forward. And Creative Science was started in 2013, and uh, here we are today in 2020 and, and doing a really amazing work. Yeah, and, and I know that you also work with nonprofits. You shared with me uh, that it's about, you know, maybe a quarter or so, a third of, of the organizations that you work with with Creative Science are also nonprofits. So you're blending both commercial practice and uh, back into that nonprofit and, and impact social, social space. Exactly, exactly. So we work with a lot of nonprofits, um, you know, the One Campaign, the World Wildlife Fund, some very large ones, but also some very small ones. And, um, you know, all the organizations that we work with, whether for profit or nonprofit, have some sort of underlying social mission to them. So that's the thread that underlines a lot of the work that we do at Creative Science. So uh, you have a new book that's out. Uh, yes. Decoding the Why. You teased the book and you and I connected through LinkedIn uh, because you teased handing out chapters. You were just you know, just throwing chapters right, out left and right, right. To, to folks. And so uh, I, I've had a chance at this point to read one of the chapters and, and have plans to dig into the whole thing. Uh, it, I, you know, I want the book to be a launching point for our conversation on uh, behavioral science and, and digital mm -hmm. transformation. Um, sure. Can you give us a, a synopsis of the book itself, the, the genesis of you wanting to capture the thinking that's in the book, and, and then go into how uh, behavioral science can help shape marketing decisions? Of course. Yeah, so the thesis of the book basically lies on this concept that we're not really consciously aware of what drives much of our decision making. So when you think uh, about a fundraising campaign, a marketing campaign, when you're building anything, the typical way that we go about doing this is we go and we ask our donors or supporters, et cetera, what, what do you want? What would we need to build into this thing that would entice you to, to join, to donate, et cetera? But this, this approach is flawed. And the reason it's flawed is because we're not really consciously aware of much of what drives our decision making. Um, uh, numerous studies have shown that we're only aware of about 5%. So the question becomes, well, if we don't know what drives our decision making, how can we tell people what's behind our decision making? Um, and we can't, right? So going out and asking people what they want and then building it uh, is a flawed approach. So basically what the book talks about, which is decoding the why, uh, which is really understanding what are the social, emotional, and cognitive factors that actually drive decision-making? And then using that as a foundation to build a fundraising campaign, to build a marketing strategy, et cetera. And these have a higher likelihood of success because you're not just throwing things at a wall. Rather, you understand what drives human behavior and you're using that as the fundamental building blocks to then build these campaigns. So in order to capture this social, emotional, or cognitive uh, information from a constituent base, what sort of tech needs does someone have to have in place? It sounds like a, a pretty um, sophisticated mousetrap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it can get very sophisticated, but there are, I would say, some 101 tactics that you can use. I mean, in regards to what drives human behavior, all of this, or a lot of it, I should say, exists in the academic literature but little of it makes it into practice. A lot of it is just going into the academic literature and starting to learn studies and 
learn about behavioral science and learn about behavioral economics and understand the way people make decisions and then using that in your marketing strategies. And like one of the, the I think the best examples I can give of this is there's this idea of the identifiable victim slash identifiable beneficiary effect. And it basically talks about this idea that we tend to offer greater aid when a specific person is observed under hardship um, rather than a group of people. And I talk about this in the book. It's actually the last chapter. It's called Driven by Emotion. And I think the tendency is when you create some strategy is like, let's tell everybody how large the problem is, give them stats and numbers. And the bigger the problem and the more they understand that, the more likely they are going to be to move to action. And this approach is is counter to the way that we actually make decisions. So something just as simple as this, to begin to understand like how, what what is it that really drives our decision making? And then using that as the building blocks to create these campaigns, is you'll see a lot more success in the work that you do. I, and I, I feel like there's a byproduct of this that's also removing your own personal bias. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, you know, uh, interpreting, you, you said at the beginning, this idea, you know, as opposed to going out and asking people, what do you want? And then building something there many times as marketers, we add our own personal bias or we become too heavy handed in being a creative director or dictating what the message needs to be and building out a marketing campaign, as opposed to, like you said, stepping back and studying the problem or studying the opportunity and seeing what data points could exist so that we can build a better campaign in the end. Exactly, and, and really letting the data drive this. And I think that when you hear the term data and big data, it can feel as very sophisticated. It's like, where do I start? What do I do? There's just so much going on, but like, it can be as simple as, let's say you're creating a, a marketing strategy. And you're like, listen, I know this is idea of the identifiable victim effect, right? I know that, that the academic literature says that this works really well. Just send, send out two email campaigns. Send out one email campaign that has stats and numbers and send out another email campaign that is just focused on a story and see what the open and click-through rates are. And that's not the most sophisticated data model you could have, but like it's data-driven and it's a really easy way to say, listen, like let me test these two different approaches and start to see which one works. Yeah, and, and doing so in a way to where you can actually measure the impact exactly. results, as opposed to just jumping all in into one direction and then mm -hmm. going for it in a continued fashion. Well, so as you have pushed, you know, decoding the why out into the market and uh, it released this month. Uh, mm -hmm. So what's some of the early feedback that you're getting? What are some of the things that you're hearing from peers and colleagues and, and people in terms of absorbing this and wanting to put it into practice? Yeah, well, my mom loves it, so there, there's <laughs> a win, a good right? Start. That's a really um, good start. Although I could write, I could write a, a picture book. My mom would love it, but um, I, I think there's a lot of I, 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 and I always talk about this is that there is a lot of really great academic literature that just doesn't make it into practice, and I think a big part of what I've been able to do and people really find valuable is take the complicated and make it simple and make it actionable. And a perfect example of this is the, the Malcolm Gladwell books, right? He's not the, the most brilliant person to ever walk the earth, although he is very smart, but one of the things that makes him so successful is his content is so accessible, right? Mm -hmm. So with Decoding the Lie, we have spent the time of digging through all the academic literature and then taking it 
and putting it in a way that somebody that has no background in behavioral science, no background maybe in marketing and communications, can pick it up and read it and get a lot of useful information and, and an insight into the types of things that they should be thinking about and doing. So that's a lot of the early feedback that I've gotten is just, it's not a bunch of abstract theories. It really is actionable and it's easy to consume. And Nate, I'll, I'll add to that because even in the, the chapter that I read, uh, there are real life examples or examples mm-hmm. in practicality right, of, Mm -hmm. you know, different commercial organizations that uh, break apart and walk through behavioral science experiments, Uh, some Mm -hmm. informal, some formal, and it helps you wrap your mind around what this looks like, like you said, in practice. Uh, So speaking of that in practice side, to move it away from sort of the aspirational and into something that someone can use on an everyday basis, what do you commonly hear as objections or barriers to someone using the concepts of behavioral science? The biggest one I actually get is, isn't this manipulative? Manipulative. Um, Which is like, because I mean, these tactics in full transparency, they can be used for evil and they can be used for good, right? Like these are the types of things that companies that don't do nice things can also use. And I think my my answer to that is, yes, there's something called a sludge, which is basically using these for evil. And it's, it's part of our imperative to make sure that we don't use these for evil, but even more so, I think that, um, you know, this is the way that the human mind works. This is the way that we make decisions. And ultimately, like if you want to give your nonprofit the best chance to succeed in its marketing and outreach efforts, like if you're not using this or you don't understand it, you're leaving opportunity on the table. And at the end of the day, like even though you're a nonprofit, you're competing against other nonprofits and another nonprofit that's gonna integrate this, they're gonna get those supporters and they're gonna get those donations. So it's it's really important to understand this and, and use it in a way um, that aligns with your values as an organization. There's all sorts of superhero allegory that we could use to break down mm-hmm. exactly what you just said of using your powers for good. And, and yeah, evil, right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, so that that's interesting, though, that, you know, the a resistance or uh, hesitation towards putting it in, in practice is a, is a common objection. And maybe that also indicates uh, a lack of understanding of the power of it or a lack of understanding of how to do it in practicality. Right. And so therefore that that sort of resistance comes up, um, you know, you you and your team, uh, just like our team here at RKD Group, have been working through the last, you know, two, two and a half months uh, and, and staying connected with our clients. Um, and now we're seeing in certain areas maybe a little bit of the fog lifting uh, into more post-COVID mindset. People are moving out of immediate response and more into, okay, what does it look like for the next six months? Or 12 months in terms of our, our marketing efforts. Uh, how do you think that the ideas behind behavioral science come into play in post-COVID marketing? Yeah, so I, I think that and it's interesting. I was on a webinar about this topic about um, it was phone it was fundraising in the era of COVID. But one of the things that we have seen from the data that it has forced a lot of nonprofits to get back to basics, to just marketing, fundraising 101. Um, but I think also what's interesting about it is that 
everything that we see about behavioral science as it relates to you know fundraising during COVID, the way that people are reacting to COVID, et cetera, and then also post of it, like lines up directly with the academic literature, right? So one of the things that we see is that like we we are really bad with uncertainty. We we would actually prefer to know the outcome, even if it was bad, rather than know than not knowing what the outcome is. And that sure. that's one of the things that is so paralyzing about this this event is it's this ongoing event that is just very uncertain. No one knows really when the end is, and when the end is, no one knows what comes out of it, right? Um, we're also, when we're in stressful situations, we're uh, prone to what is known as present bias, but we're also present bias in general, but we tend to um, sort of uh, take what, what we know and our timelines are very shortened. Right, so we, we have a hard time being able to react and do things that are going to affect us three, six, 12 months down the road. The only thing we can think of is right now, right? So whether you're thinking about your team internally as an organization and a nonprofit is understanding, you know, what's going on in the environment? How am I reacting to that? And then furthermore, also understanding like, what are the ways that your, that your, your supporters are going to, to react to that too? Yeah, and there's also within that, there's a, um, I think there's an application of leveraging present bias that can create tremendous amount of authenticity because that, mm-hmm. that same present bias is something that your constituent base, your supporters, your donors, your volunteers are also facing that, you know, right. it might even reframe the idea of I'm struggling in this in the same way that you're struggling with this and allow you right. to create more transparency in your messaging at least, or at least test more transparency in your messaging than what you would have previously. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, you know, empathy in that, right? There's, there's this idea of giving moments. Like when we're in this sort of emotional state, this heightened emotional state, we tend to, it, well, it depends what's the drivers behind that, but in this instance is we want, we want to help, right? We want to do something. And that's actually one of the reasons why we've seen a lot of online fundraising um, donations increase in this time, right? The economy is not in a great place, job loss, et cetera, but we're still seeing online fundraising is actually increasing. And part of that is because uh, there's a lot of empathy in the environment. And then furthermore too, there's this idea of, it's called the closest effect, where whether the closest we are to the incident, whether geographically or psychologically, the more likely we are to help. And COVID has this interesting, this interesting approach where like everyone in some capacity is affected by it, right? So it's it's tangible to everybody. It's not this thing that is in the, in the far distant future or across the world, but it affects everyone to some extent. Yeah, we, you know, we saw a snippet of that even when you go back to, you know, the, uh, the economic challenges in December 2018 and the government shutdown and et cetera. We had done some research at the time where uh, donors had pulled back, about one in five donors had pulled back giving and, uh, and those who had pulled back the number of organizations that they were giving to, they prioritized organizations where they were closer in proximity to the organization, mm-hmm. essentially community-based mm-hmm. organizations, food banks, animal welfare organizations. And it is, it's that same closeness effect that you see here to where we articulated as wanting to see the impact. And we feel like we can right. see the impact best the closer that we are to wherever the organization is. Exactly. And, and I think also the, the more responsibility you feel to help, right? If your neighbor's house is on fire, you should help him. Right. If a house is on fire in the town over, 
you just don't feel you don't feel as responsible. It's not as close to you, right? So I, I think that's also a piece of it too. So, but what does that mean then for our organizations, commercial and nonprofit that are on a more national scale? I mean, cause you see, you know, uh, you know, the, the, our media channels are littered with uh, massive organizations who are trying to give us a local feel uh, but some mm -hmm. of them aren't doing a, a, a great job of it in terms of their messaging, et cetera. But this idea of the closeness effect, and if this is going to continue to be something that we wrestle with because of the uncertainty, what guidance would you give an, a national organization versus one that has more of a local impact? Yeah, so I think an interesting approach there is when we talk about the closeness effect, we talk about distance as it relates to geography, but also psychological distance, right? So if I am shown a campaign of some organization that is uh, promoting their cause. And let's say they're, they're highlighting a story about an, an individual. The closer that individual is to me in terms of demographic information, the more of a connection I will feel, right? So even if you're a large national organization, if you can create a similarity between the, the people that you're trying to get to support your cause and those people that you are supporting, uh, you have a higher likelihood of making that connection. I think it's a, a great way to approach it and think about it. Okay, so, and and I, I promise you, I won't ask you to give away too much more of the book. Uh, in terms no, I'm of happy it. to. <laughs> I'm happy to. I'm happy to, because there's actually a whole chapter. It's called Driven by Emotion, and I, I pick apart uh, Charity Water's monthly giving program, and I, I talk about why that has been so successful. So a lot of this that we're talking about right now kind of um, – plays right into a whole chapter in the book about the way that we make decisions as it relates to giving, et cetera. So, yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, the book is available so folks can order it, uh, and, and dive into it. What, so tell me what's, what's next for you and the team at creative science. What's, uh, how are you planning on weathering the summer and, and what sort of other work is on the horizon for you all? Yeah. I mean, our, our big initiative right now is, one of the things that I've seen through building creative science and writing this book is there's a really big gap that exists between academia and what we refer to as the applied side. There is a lot of research in regards to what drives human behavior in academia. I would argue, and a number of people have argued, that the research precedes the implementation by about 15 years. So we want to close that gap. And there are numerous reasons why that gap exists. And there are numerous reasons why that gap hasn't been filled. Uh, so one of the things that we're constantly working on is figuring out, it's like, okay, great. There's all of this academic literature, human behavior, but at the end of the day, if it sits on a shelf and it actually isn't used, you know, what, what good is it really, right? So that, that's what we're, we're on a mission to do. That's interesting, man. That's good stuff. How, how can folks connect with you online to keep up with what you and the team are doing? Sure. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Nate Andorsky. Um, feel free to message me, connect with me, but our website is creativescience.co. It's not com.co. Uh, there's a field where you can sign up for my email newsletter um, and then just follow our website and such. We put out a lot of good resources in regards to a lot of the work that we're doing. Nate, uh, I appreciate you taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. And uh, I really do applaud the work that, that you and the team are doing. It's such cool stuff. And it, it is Thank you. a great bridge between uh, academic and applied. And so good on you. And, and um, you know, I look forward to catching up again down the road.
Uh, do I. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Ian. All right, so there's the chat with Nate. Uh, I love, I really do love the fact that Nate has a mission in mind to bring to life uh, academic ideas and to put them into practical places so that nonprofits and commercial organizations alike can benefit from them. Uh, I've been digging into Nate's book, Decoding the Why. That, uh, that book is available on Amazon and other places that you might uh, you might pick up something to read or listen to. And uh, there's really some good behavioral science nuggets uh, into that. Just, you know, the fact that our thoughts and emotions and learnings occur before we are consciously aware of them and, and how that plays into how we message as nonprofits, um, how it plays into how we collect data, how it plays into the way that we understand uh, data and and what it means for applying data into strategy. There's a lot of implications of the stuff that Nate is writing about and thinking about. So I uh, really do appreciate him being a part of this episode and, and digging in. Like Nate said, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. You can also check out Creative Science uh, and, and their website and uh, and understand more about what it is that they do. Uh, so a lot of interesting um, digital experiences and behavioral science-driven uh, experiments that they're doing. So uh, so that's it for this episode. Oh, one more thing. Uh, just wanted to uh, celebrate with all of you. Uh, as Group Thinkers has recently been awarded a Communicators Award for uh, podcasts. And so I uh, just want to thank everyone who has been a part of the Group Thinkers team in putting together episodes and helping find the bright minds that we are uh, talking to the innovators on each and every episode and uh, and celebrate this success. So whatever, uh, where, you know, however you're listening to us and, and whatever beverage you have nearby, raise a glass to you and, and say cheers and thank you for all the... Uh, all the good vibes that uh, people have sent and uh, ways that you comment on and tune into each and every episode. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. So uh, that's it for this episode. Like I said at the top, be sure to throw RKD Group a follow. And uh, yeah, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. See you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers, Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers. <laughs>